We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Kyle, Eric Wood, Lorenzo. We're going to we miss those guys, and you're, you can't replace them. So the next person has to step up, and that means young guys have to develop, and they've got to grow and and understand, hey, in particular in year three, year four, year five, you're going to be expected to, to help lead our football team. To name a few, Mario Addison has come in as a young, as a, as a new player and really demonstrated good quality leadership. If you're seeing some, some other players, uh, John Feliciano, who was here with us, really step up his leadership. Uh, just to name two on both of the of the lines in this case. So really great to see Jordan Poor. I think's had a, a good off season. Really helped in that in that aspect as well. And and uh, Reed Ferguson, a guy that you know a position as a long snapper. You say, Coach, hey Sean, what? Really? Yeah. I mean, he's. Hey, it, it's you know I think that that's cool to see where guys have it and they're able then to they want to work on developing themselves as leaders what leaders as well and uh so that's been that's been fun and and uh and uh exciting to watch some of these guys step up their leadership welcome everybody to another edition of the rock pal report podcast i'm your host bill season ticket holder drew gear that's my producer chris krueger and that was bill's head coach don mcdermott Zoom meeting of the offseason over at buffalobills.com. Chris, Sean McDermott's final Zoom meeting of the summer. Yeah, Reed Ferguson. Look at that. He's being a leader. And this is our final Bills podcast before the kickoff of our training our training camp preview series. Oh, God. <laughs> this will be the last podcast you hear just Chris and I bloviating behind these microphones. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Break down all the positions. Is training camp is only what five six weeks away? It's coming, it's coming, and I finally can't wait. But for but for tonight, we have another great show for you. We're packed full of stuff. We're going to be talking about ESPN's recent continuity rankings. We're going to dig into that a little bit just to see what it not just what they say, but when you take the data they dredged up and compare it to what we know, 
And what we're able to glean from the state of the teams to see if anybody's surprised at where the Buffalo Bills landed. We have a ton to go over tonight, Chris. First, our Week 11 quarantine update. What's new in the world of Chris Kruger in a world where, I don't know, masks, can't go to bars? I know, right? It's sad. But what I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going to give you my phone. You'll explain to our audience what you're looking at, and I'm going to the fridge. No! You get the fuck out of here! What are you looking at, dude? I am looking at a side profile of Chris Krueger with his stupid blonde hair sitting at the table with what appears to be a real live female. The two of you are holding hands. She has long shoulder length, actually longer than shoulder length brown hair that's currently in a ponytail. And she's holding a fucking Seagram's Escapes in her hand. There's a, there's a lit candle in the middle of the table. What is happening here? It looks like dinner and holding hands. Your criteria for... You don't need a, a bottle opener. You can just use your hands like a man. Tell me that you landed a date with that stupid hair. Yeah, that's... uh. This is the context you laid out for a date. Holding hands, dinner, and then I made her hold the Seagram's in her hand. Well, she did the right thing by putting her back to the camera. Because nobody, I mean, Chris, nobody would want a photo of them holding hands with you to be circulating the internet. (laughs) Hey, well, she likes holding my hand. She's she's not related to you? No. Not at all. (sighs) People, this is a travesty. Yeah, uh, drink that. What it reminded me of was, it might have been a year ago, two years ago, when Potter showed up to your house with cannolis and potato salad, and you came out of your bedroom, like, putting a shirt on, and we're standing there talking, and then you just take a cannoli and dip it in the potato salad, and Potter and I, <laughs> Potter and I look at each other like, what is he doing? Is this, is that, all right, just let it happen. Let it happen. That's what I was doing last week. You're making all these Seagram's, Seagram's claims. I'm just, <sighs> let it happen, because that date was planned last Wednesday when we recorded. It was already in the works, so you were already dead in the water. That? I was just, let it happen. <clears throat> let it happen. That was a Wildberry Seagram's. <laughs> Chris, I underestimate you. I I'll somehow give you- underestimate you fruit-booting, blonde-haired-having, just enigma of a human being. I'll give you three questions. About the about give, the date? Give me three questions about the photo, about the date, about her. Well, you that, already answered one, that she's not related to you. So you have that going for you. Um, number two. She seems a little on the thin side. Is there any chance that maybe, just maybe, she was anemic and suffering from low blood sugar and just didn't realize. Like, she couldn't see, kind of had a tunnel vision thing happening, and that's how she was able to look past all this? No. No, not at all. Did you pay her? (laughs) I did not pay her to have dinner. No cash was exchanged. I mean, Chris, I know plenty of old men who use escorts. They don't even, they don't even like the physical interaction. They just want someone to have dinner with. I mean, I know. Is that where you've reached No, I know I have low self-esteem and self-worth, but. I'm not paying for somebody to come over for dinner. (laughs) Well, then, Chris, I hand it to you. I underestimated you, sir. (laughs) 
And I apologize. And if, if this is any indication, folks, this is going to be a long summer. This is good. What kind of a world do we live in? Hey. She agreed to go out with me, so. <sighs> Chris, you have me questioning the very reality that I reside in now. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's what we're here for. For me, folks, new dad, a lot of things have changed. It's been a wild first week of fatherhood. Um, kids sleeping through the night, actually, for a lot of people who have asked. Sleeping through the night, he's great. First of all, sidebar, shout out to Mike Swenson, listener of the show, celebrating the birth of his child. It's, it's a great time to be, you know, first-time fathers. He and I have been trading messages about it and just kind of a, bouncing some things off each other as he's just now getting out of the hospital with his kid, and we've been home for over a week now. But Chris, something hilarious happened. I got my first real taste of not rocking the boat as a parent. Okay? All right, what happened? things are going well with your child, I now know, don't get cute. Okay? Don't make it like... Like the Buffalo Bills in the third quarter of a game where you just start to try third to... third and one. Let's <laughs> run a slant. It's third and one. No, just get the first down. <laughs> no, we're getting cute. We're going to run a slant. Back in the days of Rick Dennison? Yeah, don't do that. And I found that out because my son, he was eating formula. You know, it was a, he, he, and it was great. We were using the same brand, same version of the formula they gave us in the hospital. We get him home. He's eating. He's sleeping. Everything's great. Then we decide to switch it up. And Chris, he stops, he first stops pooping. That should be a sign that something bad is coming. Yeah. Right? When the kid goes, I don't know, a day and a half. No that, poop. The, 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 you start to become, you come, become concerned because you know it's, now the kid is a time bomb. The kid is a time bomb with legs. Is this one of those dumps where it comes around to the front? And you, oh, know, you just don't know the science behind that, how that happened? And he's also, so we... We switch his food, and he immediately starts to suffer these, you know, we, we decide, let's try something new. Let's, uh, immediately, okay? No dumps for a day and a half. He also has a lot more gas. He's burping a lot more, and he's spitting up a little bit, which never happened with the other food. But I persist on, because I'm saying, no, 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 it's, it's the transition, Chris. It's like a coach, when he makes the wrong choice, yeah. the anti-Sean McDermott. It would be like if Sean McDermott had switched to Nathan Peterman and then after the five interception game said, no, 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 let's, let's see how this goes. <laughs> At approximately 3 a.m., Chris, as I'm up for a nighttime feeding, this kid turns into the exorcist from both ends. <laughs> Out of nowhere, Chris. It's like a fire hose. I don't know how a tiny body... A tiny little eight-pound body contains that much liquid, point blank and period. Chris, I don't know how the kid didn't need an IV after this. And the whole time, I can't even be mad at him. I'm just, I, I, it's, like Ron, it's like Ron Burgundy. Yeah. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> and at 3 a.m., I have to just strip down to my boxers to finish feeding him and then taking him and changing him. And so I go upstairs, I feed him, I come back down. My wife just hears the first, all she can hear from downstairs is the exclamation and then silence. And then I come in in my underwear and she bursts out laughing and I'm just like, she's like, what happened? I was like, I don't even want to talk about it. It took me a half hour to clean this up. And I got to say, Chris, shock, shock and awe. I didn't even know what to do. Stunned, deer in the headlights. Do you know the last time, Chris, that I just was completely dumbfounded by something to the point where I couldn't speak? I don't know. Probably something Potter did last season. Nah, not even that. 
Chris, it's been years. I, I just, you had no answer. I'm very quickly realizing that this fatherhood thing, I, I came into it kind of with the hubris that, eh, I, I'm the oldest of four boys. I've been around babies. This is going to be fine. Did you call your dad at 3 a.m. going, oh, I get, I get it. What, and give him the satisfaction? <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, so it has been a week, folks. It has been a week. And last week, you know, I gave a sincere thanks to our listeners who, in gestures of incredible generosity, sent me gifts to celebrate the birth of my son. Along with one of them came a letter. Chris? There was a, this was a hell of, Well, you should explain the gift in full context. Why don't you explain for the people? So, I got a package here at my place, and... I was going to, I was leaving for work. It must have come in like late the night before. And I go to leave my apartment and there's a box of diapers sitting right in front of my apartment door. So I got to go to work. So I just, I kick the box in. And then when I come home from work, I put it on the chair that you sit at right now doing the show. And I didn't think anything of it. And then the person that sent it to us reached out to make sure that we got it. And I was like, Oh yeah, we got uh, the the barbecue book and diapers, and he was like, "Oh, that's not just diapers." He was like, "There's beer in there too." So he took out all of the diapers, put in a six pack of beer, and then two <laughs> other IPAs, and then repacked seventy of the seventy six diapers in the box. Genius. And then mailed it to us. Yeah, genius. Because if something one of those cans popped. Diapers, there to absorb everything. Genius move. And then we also got a letter. Chris, what was my reaction when you watched me read it for the first time? Uh, well, I made sure to leave the room so you weren't distracted by anything I did or my blonde hair. And I did stand over in the doorway and I just watched you read it. And you did tear up a little bit. I'm a softie. What can I say? At heart, I'm a softie. Along with this incredibly generous gift... It was a letter, just entitled, What It Means to Me to Be a Bills Fan. And in reading it, I, 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 I want to share this with you guys. <sighs> what it means to me to be a Buffalo Bills fan. My mother was born and raised in Hamburg, New York. Her father, my grandfather, never made it beyond the third grade. He began his work as a gardener, which led him to work at a local nursery in Hamburg. And shortly after, he reached his 20s. He got a job at the Ford Stamping Plant in Buffalo. He worked for Ford for 31 years before retiring. My mother was one of six, and she and her mother worked tirelessly trying to help raise the children in Hamburg. She eventually graduated from Hamburg High School, and then attended nursing school in Rochester. And she graduated in her nurse, nursing school. She continued her education at Penn State University, where she met my father. My father's a hardworking man that used his lessons on the farm and railroads of Montana to earn his way into the United States Air Force Academy. My father's one of three children belonging to my grandmother, a school nurse, and my grandfather, the small-town sheriff. My father's father was a World War II Army Ranger who made every airborne jump in the European theater of the 82nd Airborne to the Purple Heart. My, f my father graduated top 2% of his class at USAFA and was selected to continue his education as a graduate student of engineering at Penn State University. This background will make sense later. I was born shortly after they were married, my sister soon after, and we all we moved all over the globe in the continental United States with the U.S. Air Force. 
this is where Buffalo and the Bills come in. My family was my family was stationed in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, beginning in the late 1890, 1989. Jesus, 18. What is this? Back in the future. 1989. As Desert Shield became Desert Storm, the president ordered an evacuation of all non-essential personnel from forward areas in the Middle East as war with Iraq was imminent. My mother, sister, and I said goodbye to my father and our dog to evacuate back to Hamburg, New York. My father's parents had since passed. The three of us moved into the two small spare bedrooms on the second floor of my, grandpa, my grandparents' modest home in Hamburg, and I began attending Hamburg Elementary as a third grader. At this point, I knew little about football, but only as a child in the room as grown-ups watched it. The three of us, still adjusting from living in the throes of medieval Saudi Arabia one week to Hamburg the next with my grandparents, were in extreme trepidation as the news channels displayed the Scud missiles being launched at U.S. forces near Iraq in the anti-aircraft fire attempting to shoot down our jets. We were all terrified for my father, knowing he was near some of the targeted sites. I remember the yellow ribbons all over Hamburg and Orchard Park, and hearing Lee Greenwood on the radio trying not to cry. Enter Buffalo Bills football. Every family member, aunts, uncles, and cousins, came over for the first game of the 1990 season. Each person was glued to the TV as they played. Shots of crown were passed around to the adults for every touchdown. That Sunday was the first time I saw my mother relax and not be on the verge of tears. You can imagine what that means to a child whose father was in the torrents of war in a distant land while living in a place like Hamburg, circa 1990. I came to adore the Goliaths of Kelly, Thomas, Reed, Tasker, Bennett, Hall, Taylor, Smith, and all of the others. The escape from reality while watching these real-life kings take the field and win while the entire community around me roared was incredible. If you remember, the newspapers at the time would do action shots of the players on a full page each week, and I kept them all and pinned them on the wall next to my fold-out bed. I would stare at them while going to sleep to forget the possibility of never seeing my dad again. As the Bills kept winning, my attachment grew. Everyone I loved, my new, my new Western New York friends, teachers, mailmen, everybody worshipped the Bills. For me, it was a dose of something surreal. It was happiness away from the war, away from hearing my mother cry herself to sleep, away from being somewhere new. We heard from my father maybe twice a month. I don't ever remember talking to him on the phone during that time. His phone calls were very short, and my mother obviously took the calls whenever she could. It was such a different time. My mom would have a window of around three hours to wait by the phone. Sometimes the call would be outside of that window and she would miss it. I, I watched it crush her. Just before the Bills' first playoff game in 1990, I woke up before anyone else, and I was excited to go play in the fresh three feet of snow on the ground. As I walked around my grandparents' rickety house, I saw out of the corner of my eye a face in the window of the door near the kitchen. It was my dad, who had come home to surprise us on R&R. This happiness I felt that morning has never been surpassed. I got to play in the snow with my dad that day. He was only able to stay for a few days, but we got to watch the Bills win their first round of the playoffs the year before that, that year before he left. The Buffalo Bills have been my team ever since. I ended up spending my formative years in Texas playing football and graduating high school. And when I graduated, I decided against pursuing football scholarships for an appointment to the U.S. Air Force Academy because I wanted to be a pilot. I continued my football career at USAFA, but ended up turning my focus entirely to flying. I've been flying in the Air Force for the last 16 years. 13 
of the year so far has been with the Air Force Special Operations, flying AC-130 gunships. In fact, I had the opportunity to take a plane and some students cross-country for training that happened to occur during the 2017 Bills-Dolphins game, his first home game, and the 2018 Minnesota game. In, in, I'm raising my family now, and so far I've converted my wife and two out of the three boys. Chris, total aside, how hard would it be having a kid who roots for another team? If I was having kids and that happened, all of his shit would be outside <laughs> on the lawn. And that's why you're not a father. I took my wife to her first game at the end of the 2018 season, Kyle Williams' last game, and we stayed in Buffalo three extra days to sightsee and enjoy the city. We had such a great time, and the food scene was amazing. She enjoyed it so much, we plan on making an annual pilgrimage every year. I was going either way, but with the boss's blessing, it's a done deal. And now my boys are all clamoring for me to take them to a game as well. Bottom line, when I think of Buffalo, the Bills, and Bills Mafia, all of these feelings take place. Seeing the yellow ribbons, that face in the door of my grandparents' house, playing with my dad in the snow, Lee Greenwood, Whitney Houston's anthem, my family screaming at the TV, and my, seeing my mother at peace. Buffalo has such a special place in my heart, the Bills especially. And when I listen to you guys, I feel at home with family. It's maybe a lot, but it's what makes Buffalo so special to me. You guys are a part of it. Thank you. That was from Major Yulberg, father, husband, pilot, member of Bill's Mafia. It's a hell of a letter. And we keep this thing, I've, I cut it down to fit into a frame that contained a picture of me and my ex-girlfriend. And we keep it on this table right over here by where we record. So if there is ever a time where we're frustrated of anything with our podcast, anything that happens behind the scenes, I told you, I've said we will look at this and we will we'll get the momentum to pull through I mean, for I've said every before, podcast. I do. There's so many of you guys out there who take time out of your out of your lives to listen to us do something that for us is wholly therapeutic and it's 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 incredibly it it does kind of fuel me to do this and it's interesting to know the your backgrounds i mean guys think about it chris and i sit up here and talk about ourselves for hours <laughs> yes. nauseum we do this and after reading this and just thinking about all the other people who Chris, we do this podcast. We do it for us, but let's face it. Up to this point, we, that's the only reason we do it. Yeah. It's because people, sh people like Major Yulberg here. Here's what I'll say. After reading this, not only am I incredibly grateful to have such a great group of just dedicated listeners and people who we can help feel attached to this. I've said it, I want to know more, Chris. I want to know more about people like him. Yep. Our podcast has a reach that surprises a lot of the people who also do podcasts. I mean, Chris, I'm looking at our download map from just this month. Internationally. Do we get some from Sweden, it, Uganda? We have people. Hopefully it's not Kamala, the Ugandan giant. He doesn't have any legs. He can't listen. Australia, Japan, Finland, Sweden. United Kingdom. I mean, I know Thomas Bronmere from Sweden. Sweden. He's out there. 
I mean, there's stories. You guys all have it. And I'm incredibly interested, not so much in myself, but in you guys. In what it is. What it is that drives you to seek out a Buffalo Bills podcast? What it is that keeps you engaged? Even after you're no longer here in the western New York area. Or if you've never lived here. Or even those of you who've never lived here. So for the rest of the summer, Chris, we're going to open up a forum for each and every show to hear from you guys. Find out what it is that makes our diverse group of listeners tick, just in terms of how they maintain this fandom of theirs, and how we, as a couple of hacks with bad teeth and questionable hair choices... I got great hair choices. I just showed you that they worked. I just want to know how we've been lucky enough to find a way to be a part of it. I want to hear it from you guys. So... At Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us. We'll reach out to you guys. I just want to hear from you guys, and thank you. Thank you for everything that you guys have done for us over the years and everything that you give me in terms of motivation, ambition. <laughs> Chris, we wouldn't be able to do it if there was no one listening, right? Exactly. And then within those diapers from Major Yulberg was beer from Florida. <laughs> and in my hand, passing it to you, Florida Man. Double, Double India Pale Ale from Cigar City Brewing. A beer review. Ah, a beer review. Florida Man Double India Pale Ale. Now, Chris, I have some initial thoughts if I'm reviewing this beverage. First and foremost, one of the more decorative cans I've seen. Yes. I like it. It's well appointed. But the name, I don't know. I've got some questions. I mean, Florida Man Beer? It has me concerned. Is this the official beverage of Florida Man? You know, the types of people who generated the headlines, uh, thousands of gun owners in Florida planning to shoot down Hurricane Irma. Or, or Florida Man ripped urinal from restaurant bathroom wall, ran away naked into the woods. It sounds like those people that become Florida Man can't afford Florida Man beer. Maybe. But also, this beverage is 8.5% alcohol. So it's entirely possible, Chris, that after a few too many of these... Waterman incidences may, uh, that just may be the suit du jour. But with that said, let's crack into this bad boy. Yeah, pour some in my glass there. I want some of this. All right. Do a smell test. Hmm. I can smell the hops. Nice and hoppy. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Cheers. Major Yulberg. That's very, uh, it's got a very IPA. It does, but it's not as heavy. You know, some, some double IPAs can be syrupy. This is nice. I like it. It's a little bit lighter and a little bit more citrusy on the finish than most double IPAs are. It's, I definitely can taste that citrus. One of my biggest problems with double IPAs is that usually, Chris, even just coming out of the fridge, they're still piss warm. Well, what, uh, isn't your go-to double IPA the 2X Smash from Southern Tier? Yes. That's your go-to? That's my go-to, but this is good. I'm a fan. This is really drinkable. Chris, I can see a world in which I drink enough of these. Just because it's so light on the palate? Chris, this is a dangerous beer. This is the Florida man of beers. It's all fun and games until someone's throwing an alligator through a Wendy's drive-thru window. <laughs> I feel like that's what this beer could lead to. Yeah. You probably could, like... Have a bunch of these, and then before you know it, you're drunk. You're like, whoa, what just <laughs> happened? <laughs> what just happened, and why is my car filled with my neighbor's mailboxes? That's what you'd be asking yourself. 
Ah, thank you very much, sir, and thank you to all of you who show up each and every week. I'm looking forward to getting to, to, getting to learn more about all of you guys. Chris, even with everything we have coming up on the horizon, I think it's even more important to reach out and engage with our listeners. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to hear from you guys. With that said, let's get into this. Let's start things off with the Bills News Update. McDermott addresses the media, part deux. <laughs> part deux. I always think of the movie Hot Shots. Yeah, with Charlie Sheen. Even though I never watched all of it because I started it and was like, this is crap. I only can picture the cover of the, of the film. For the second time in as many weeks, Bill's head coach Sean McDermott addressed the media. And I, Chris, honestly, I don't, I don't exactly know what the purpose of this one was. Well, well, I told you before we started recording, it's because everybody at the Sabres got fired yesterday. So they needed McDermott to come in and take eyes off the Sabres for a day. Well, that's the thing. Two things jumped out at me when I hear this. It's like, okay, Sean McDermott's being trotted out in front of a camera and a microphone again. Last week on this podcast, we talked about the Tim Graham article and how Sean McDermott alluded in his last press conference to the fact that there's some strife behind closed doors here and that he was indeed concerned about some of the, the, the leaking over and affecting the football operations. So I guess it shouldn't come as a shock to everybody that they took a flamethrower to their hockey organization. Is he damage control? <laughs> yeah, he is. Is this their way of being like, Sean, we're sorry. Sean, we promise we're not trying to screw up your, We're not trying to screw things up on the football side. Please go tell everyone it's okay. I think one of the questions in the press conference was something to the effect of, well, what if there isn't an NFL season? Is there going to be, like, cost-cutting measures from the football side? And clearly the head coach can't answer that. <laughs> Chris, I, it, it strikes me as one of those things where they get the head coach to come out. This is them tasking Sean McDermott with being that one cop at every horrific accident whose only job is to stand on the opposite side of the police tape and shoo away crowds telling them that there's nothing to see. Yeah, ah, there's nothing to see here. I see some feet. <laughs> nope, nope, those aren't feet. Those aren't feet. They're definitely still attached to a body. Don't worry. Just everyone move along. Who's the police officer from South Park? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> officer yeah, Barbrady. Yeah, move along. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> they just Officer Barbrady. Yeah, move the along. There's nothing to see here. Move along. Oh, no. Poor Sean. <laughs> God. But one of the other things that we did, I did take away from this, as you heard in the intro, is that McDermott went out of his way to praise team captain and friend of the show, Reed Ferguson, as a leader on the team. Something we discussed with him during his appearance on the podcast last week. Chris, when you think about where this team has come, just under Sean McDermott, the amount of turnover from a leadership standpoint. Well, yeah, that's, there, that's the, the thing, because we have three years in a row, Eric Wood gone. Then Kyle Williams, then Lorenzo Alexander, and you. I think after each season, you kind of question who's stepping into those leadership roles within the locker room. And and I guess and that's one of those things that you've seen things like this derail other football teams, just from a leadership perspective. You know, the old veteran guys phase out, and there's nobody there to really fill that leadership void. And yet, with that. You look at it last year. Lorenzo was probably the only one of the old guard to still have a C on his shirt. Yeah. And then now that he's gone, Tremaine Edmonds was also a captain last year. 
And for being a non-vocal guy, Chris, down the stretch after that Miami game, if you remember, the whole locker room was buzzing because they were like, Tremaine Edmonds stepped up. Yeah. He grabbed everybody by the horns and said, look, we're going to do, we need to write this thing. Yeah. Edmonds is one of those silent leaders that he's not going to talk, but when he does, you better fucking listen. And it, so what you've watched under Sean McDermott is the cultivation of young players growing into leaders, but I also think it speaks to the job that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done in cultivating that quality of player in terms of character. Yeah. You got to develop a culture off the field. And that's it. And now when you look at the guys who are slated to be captains this year, you got Josh Allen, who, I mean, look at the work he's put in just this offseason. Yeah, he held a workout in California, then flew to Florida to have a workout. And, and when you see him play and when you hear people talk about him, I mean, Chris, one of the things I still can't get out of my head is Lorenzo Alexander's story from week one against the Jets last season. They're, they're scoreless. It's 16 nothing. He throws that pick. I think it was the third quarter, or was it the fourth quarter? Third or fourth quarter. Late in the game, he throws an interception, and you know they haven't scored yet. And Lorenzo Alexander comes over to, he was telling the press, he went over to Josh Allen to tell him, hey, don't worry, we still got this. We're cool. And he said he got up to Josh, and Josh was laughing. And he was smiling, and he had a kind of a, just a carefree attitude, kind of a, almost cocky. And he said the kid just looked at him and goes, don't worry, we got this. He knew that if he just went out there and did his job, they were going to win that football game. And he was confident in his own ability. And you watched him grow into that role, both on the field and off the field, over the course of last season. I think you saw him become the leader. The team went as he went. Yeah. And, I mean, you can say that for every quarterback, but now you're seeing it off the field with the way he's organizing his teammates and the way he's, they seem to be rallying around him. You look at the defensive guys, your Tremaine Edmonds, you know, you look at guys like Reed Ferguson. Yeah. Reed Ferguson has become the go-to guy. I mean, if you're the special teams captain, it means that anybody on that special teams unit needs to be able to come to you and ask you, what the, hey, where should I be? What's my job? What's my assignment? What should I be doing right now? You have to be able, they have to be able to come to you for those things, both on and off the field. To know that Reed holds that, and that we just, I mean, Chris, we just talked to him about it last week. It feels like... I don't yeah, know. he's being a leader down uh, down in Atlanta, and at, uh, I think they're getting together at Campbell High School in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But they're you know he's the elder statesman of those four between his brother Kari Bedvik and uh, rookie kicker Tyler Bass. And so and, in that clip, Chris, he mentions you know some of the uh, Jordan Poyer and guys like that who obviously they're going to be leaders on the field. Yeah. But in that way, it's it's impressive to see that this team from 2017 to now, to your point. Complete overhaul in terms of older players holding the reins simply because they're veterans. Now you've got young players who seem to have stepped up and filled those leadership voids and become the tent poles that this organization needs them to be. And for me, Chris, it's incredibly interesting to watch Reed's career trajectory. I mean, we're talking about a guy, we've watched a man go from renting a room in some blonde haired idiot's two bedroom, one bathroom apartment. Well, on the practice squad for an NFL football team, to becoming a leader on and off the field for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and as a reward, I have his house keys. <laughs> ah, I hope he shaves your head when I get here. He was pissed last week when we saw you. <laughs> ah, I mean, I'm just glad to see that both in the eyes of the press and in the eyes of our staff, Reed is getting the shine that he deserves. 
considering what a humble guy that he really is. It's nice to hear the coach say things about a player who Rex Ryan, I don't even think Rex Ryan knew he existed. No. Uh, it just goes to show you what different, co- you know, what various coaching staffs will do. And for any of you questioning what we're talking about, go back to last week and listen to our interview with Reed Ferguson. Chris, it was probably one of the better conversations we've had this offseason post-draft. I mean, when's the last time you could say that you got to sit down and break the balls of an NFL football player over their breakfast choices? Never. <laughs> exactly. Cheers to Reed. Cheers. Bang! To Mr. Ferguson getting the shine he deserves. Speaking of get people getting what they deserve, The Bills have officially wrapped up their 2020 NFL draft class by signing running back Zach Moss to his rookie deal. They've officially put a bow on the class, and he's now on a four-year rookie contract. And as most things the Bills, most things that they do, I have some thoughts. First of all, Chris, I think the announcement surprised some people. You know, they saw Moss at the practices in California with Josh Allen. They saw him down in Florida and didn't realize that he hadn't signed his deal yet. Yeah, Did well, you know he was still kind of out there in the wind? I didn't know we signed anybody. All these days run together. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's what. I did. I had. I had no idea any of our players signed contracts. Here's what I'll say to you: since you don't pay attention, too busy dating. That's why I don't pay attention. <laughs> too busy dating. You're too busy dating to pay attention to what's going on in the world of Buffalo Bills football. I do not believe this. I still refuse to believe it. That was a fourth date, dude. I hate you. (laughs) So, ultimately, this whole thing led to some interesting conversations in the matter online from people who were surprised by it. Because it seems like the rookie wage scale, Chris, would have made signing these contracts pretty easy, right? Yeah. Usually what comes down to the language of how your bonus breaks down. Well, exactly. That's it. I mean, to those people out there who think this is easy and open and shut, this is all about the fine print. There were a multitude of back-end issues, and for some reason, they tend to cause the most issues in the third round. The third round, Chris, seems to be notoriously where more of these issues pop up. I mean, think about it. Devin Singletary last year was a third-round pick. Yep. Zach Moss is now a third-round pick this year. When you look at some of what they could be, the first one is the deferral of bonus payments. I mean, the schedule of bonus money is usually grounds for contention. In the third round, it sees a steep drop-off in terms of total bonus, which is, I think, part of the fight. The other fight comes over total guaranteed money. Because here's the thing. First-round picks typically have the first few years of their contracts fully guaranteed. There's very few clauses teams can work into those deals that they could void guaranteed money in that time span. Second rounders only get two years of their four-year deal guaranteed. And for third round picks, year one is the only year of their contract that's completely guaranteed to them. So Chris, if you were only guaranteed to be on a team for one year, but then a team came to you and said, hey, you, you're, there's no guarantee we're going to keep you past this upcoming season, but we want to spread your bonus money out over three years. You'd have a problem with that, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of this becomes a negotiation. Now, to me, if the current structure stays the way it is, you're going to see more rather than less of this as time goes on, especially for positions like running backs where long NFL careers are really uncommon. Chris, think about how many high-end running backs we've seen flame out. Yeah, there's been several. Trent Richardson, 
Eddie Lacy, both of them were Alabama running backs. But hey, what do I? Yeah. Hey now, hey. It, it, it happens a lot. So teams try to protect themselves from a financial standpoint. I get that. It's a shrewd business. So if this is the topic we're starting on, by this, I'll say this, Chris. If we're going to go down this road already, by the time this podcast is over, our listeners, I mean, here's a spoiler. There's a ton of pro-Brandon Bean comment, uh, commentary coming. So much so that by the end of the show, you're probably going to think I want to kiss him on the mouth. And Chris? Who knows? The offseason isn't over yet. Yeah. <laughs> he wins me a Super Bowl. Anything's possible. Uh, what I like is this. Moss's deal now has him set to count against the 2020 cap at a rate of just $838,000. When you combine that with the cap figures of his fellow running backs on the roster, sing- or at least players we expect to make the roster at the running back position, or at least be primarily factored into the conversation, for running back competition. You've got Singletary, Yeldon, and Christian Wade. I mean, I know that what's-his-face, the special teamer, Taiwan Jones. Yeah. I don't see him making this roster. I just don't. So when I look at these guys, and I look at the running back as a whole, they're only going to cost us $4.2 million. The four of them. When you compare that to what the rest of the NFL is trotting out at the running back position, it's an absurd value. The Bills are 24th in spending in the entire NFL at the running back position right now. Of the teams behind them, only the Vikings, Buccaneers, and Eagles had a 500-yard rusher on the roster last season. Minnesota is kind of screwed because their running back, Delvin Cook, even though he's still on his rookie deal, is now demanding a raise. I mean, Chris, he wants in the, what, I think I read $13 million a year. Last I heard was fifteen. <laughs> he wanted... <laughs> He wanted McCaffrey money, and then he backed off by a million. Woo! Wow. Yeah. God. For a guy who's never been healthy, I mean, did, did he not call Melvin Gordon? Like, hey, pick up the phone. Call Melvin yeah. Gordon. Ask him how that worked out. So that's going to screw them up. The Buccaneers now have Tom Brady. I have no idea what that offense is going to look like or what they have planned. I don't even know who's going to start a running back for them. The Eagles have Miles Sanders on a deal similar to Devin Singletary's. And while his situation is somewhat similar, Chris, you look at the numbers, he finished with more than 700 yards. True. He also saw 28 more carries, which is almost two whole games worth of rushing attempts, more than Singletary. He only finished with like 100 extra yards over him. So, when you think about it through that lens, the Bills are set up pretty well, considering how cost-effective this running back group is. And when, the only other team behind them, Chris, that I actually look at and I'm impressed by is Kansas City. They're, they have less running back spending than the Bills. And it's interesting that they won the Super Bowl without having a 500-yard rusher on the roster. And then in this year's draft, they added Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round which hilariously prompted this breakdown from our friend and draft analyst, Brett Coleman. No, dude. Is that real? I don't know. I'm looking. Come on, punk, man. CEH confirmed. There it is. They did it. They did it. Yeah, you and I talked about this. They just got one of the best football players in the draft. 
Oh my god, it's See, perfect. All you, all you guys that root for NFC teams, you don't understand. You don't understand what no. we're gonna have to deal with. This is Dude, you've been dealing with the Patriots forever. Yeah. I hope this season gets canceled now. Fuck it. That's Brett Coleman from his podcast. <laughs> Man. I hope this Man. season gets canceled because yeah. the Kansas City Chiefs took Clyde Edwards Hilaire. <laughs> I mean, Chris, it is a sneaky move. Because in that offense with Andy Reid, think about all the running great running backs. I think Andy Reid called him a more talented Brian Westbrook. That's the thing. Brian Westbrook, Jamal Charles, Sharkandrick West. Okay. Yeah. He's made, he's, made, he's made running backs look phenomenal with the way that he organizes his offenses. And so with that, this guy could become a Jamal Charles force on an incredibly cheap rookie contract. And one that's made better by the fact that they'll have a fifth-year option on his deal if it comes down to it. Chris, they're the one team that I, I, I give them credit. That's shrewd roster construction. Yeah. But in that way, the Buffalo Bills. So here we are. We're set up nicely compared to the teams around us in running back spending. We have Devin Singletary fresh off a 775-yard season. He's obviously hasn't gotten into the end zone as often. But I think that, Chris, they deferred a lot, a lot to Frank Gore down near the goal line. Yeah, they did. In 2021, if we go past this season, the Bills only move up to 21st in the league in running back spending. With Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, Yeldon comes off the books, and I believe we would still have Christian Wade as part of that program. Yep. The exemption program from overseas. And then in 2022... They'll still have Devin Singletary and Zach Moss under contract and will be paying just $2.4 million combined for their services. Now think about this. That means that if Devin Singletary continues, even if he doesn't improve from what he did last season, and Zach Moss grows to be nothing more than a five, 600-yard complementary back, you'd still be looking at 1,300 yards rushing and a handful of touchdowns that are only costing you $2.4 million on your cap. I'll take it. Chris, if that's not sexy roster construction, I don't know what it is. I mean, think back to our salary cap primer show with Paul Wineski of Hashtag Sports. I broke this gem out from my research for that show. 30 running backs in the NFL had either 1,000 yards or 5 touchdowns back in 2019. 20 of those running backs were on rookie contracts. At the same time, the three highest-paid running backs in the NFL all missed the playoffs, and only Ezekiel Elliott hit 1,000 yards. And if you look at the top 10 rushers in the NFL last season, only two of them were guys on their second contracts. Chris, what the Bills are constructing at the running back position is a thing of absolute beauty. You have Singletary, who could probably, he probably could have had 1,000 yards last year if he wasn't throttled back in Sean McDermott fashion. You know, we talked last week about what he does to rookies. This is it. You, you have a physical downhill runner with a deceptive amount of wiggle to his game in Zach Moss. You have a veteran presence in TJ Yeldon, who's proven his ability on third down. He's a good pass blocker. An average running back, but nothing terrible. And you have a developmental athlete in Christian Wade, who, cover your ears, folks, I'm already seeing tweets. Already. Christian Wade, running back two on the roster. I needed to get that off my chest. Chris, I promise I'm not going to yell about this every week, but you people need to stop. Yeah, he's not making the team. He's He's a rugby player. Yeah. 
He's it a, would be... You know, the only time he's going to make a difference is going to be preseason. When I see this stuff on social media, great guy. It would be a great story. I'm rooting for him. But when I see people talking about how there's no reason he's not on the active roster, I want to grab a pillow and scream profanity into it. That's it. <laughs> but our running back group is a multifaceted one that has the, has the upside, Chris, of a top 10 unit over the next few years. With the ability for the team to add an other cheap pieces for even more flexibility in the draft. But the price tag of something that you'd see Macklemore trying on in a music video. Yes! That is it! I finally got to make a thrift shop reference during this podcast. Woo! What is Macklemore? That song, Thrift Shop, is elite. And I'm bringing it and Velcro sneakers back. I'm doing it. I don't even have no idea what you're talking about. No one ever does, Chris. All I know is that it's, you look at what we're doing now, we've got running backs under contract. Our running back room is financially solvent for years to come. Chris, if the team loved Zach Moss, Zach Moss blows up, has a monster year, grows into, grows into a solid running back in his own right. So does Devin Singletary. They could keep the two of them and run a tandem and be fine with that and spend your cap money elsewhere spend your draft capital elsewhere if they wanted to they could wait and take another guy in the third to fifth round and for less than four to five million dollars a year trot out an equivalent to what 2007's giants had the year they won the super bowl over the patriots yep broke the undefeated season that running back stable i think it was uh, what was it uh andre ward i want to say I can tell Andre you. Ward, uh, they had Brandon Jacobs, and I believe they had, was it Bradshaw? I'm not Bradshaw. That running back group was ridiculous, Chris. Earth, wind, and fire, they called them. The Bills could build something similar and somehow pay less than $5 million for the whole kit and caboodle because of how they've developed this group. It's smart roster construction, and it's good that they've got all that stuff wrapped up now with the draft class because he can kind of turn his attention elsewhere. Now, Chris, soft tissue injuries are already happening around the NFL. Oh, God. By now, I'm sure everybody who follows football, both because of your love of the sport and the fact that there's literally nothing else going on right now, is evidenced by the uproar of Lamar Jackson, Chris, playing catch on a beach. I wish he tore his ACL. You're such an ass. The only I, I go on record saying the only person I've ever wished an injury on, Tom Brady. I don't take it back. I won't. The offseason injury wave is starting to gain traction, Chris, as the Eagle announced that high-end starting right guard Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles while working out at the team's facility, and he's done for the 2020 season. It's noteworthy for a few reasons for both of us as Bills fans and listeners of this podcast. One it lends credence to the idea that what Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bills and I discussed a few weeks ago here on this podcast it carries some weight. Traditionally, the players injured in the run-up to the regular season are rookies, unfamiliar with how to prepare their bodies for the rigors of NFL football. But because of what the offseason has become and the lack of access to facilities and doctors, and th- you're going to have NFL veteran players who have a difficult time preparing their bodies for what these workouts are going to call for. And you're going to see more of these types of injuries. I mean, Chris, this might very likely represent the first of many that we see over the course of the next few weeks as these facilities open. A wave, if you will. And the damage might be worse for players like Brooks, 
who are still rehabbing and clearly weren't ready for full go workouts but pushed the envelope anyway. And also, Chris, it's interesting to us because we have a shrewd GM who has proven that he's, he can take other people's lemons and turn it into our own lemonade. Yeah. We're a little less than a month away from NFL teams opening up their training camps. And at this point, the free agent market is pretty picked over. If you're looking at finding a, a, an option that can start for you at an NFL caliber level. So with that, a loss of this type can go a long way towards derailing the competitive hopes of an organization. Yet here are the Buffalo Bills sitting on a gluttony of offensive linemen. And no, that's not a coincidence. I mean, Joe Marino of the Draft Network wrote an article back in, I want to say, March, shortly after free agency, that Brandon Bean has found a life hack for the draft compensatory pick formula. He never, Chris, instead of waiting for the league to say, hey, you did, you know, you, this complicated formula of players you lost versus players you gained, here's a third round draft pick. Here's a fourth round draft pick. Instead, what Brandon Bean likes to do is take his salary cap. And after that initial wave of free agency, he just starts signing bargain players to contracts. So that he has a surplus. And then, trades those guys away that were probably going to get cut anyway for some form of draft capital. Look at the history. In 2017, it was linebacker Reggie Ragland, who showed throughout the course of the preseason that he just wasn't, because he was too slow. For the type of defense they wanted to run, a traditional 4-3, he was too slow to play middle linebacker. I mean, look at athletically Reggie Ragland compared to Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, I know. They're night and day. One went to Alabama and the other didn't. So they shipped him off for a fourth-round pick rather than watching him get cut as soon as the Chiefs got hit with injuries in their front seven. In 2018, it was a fifth-round pick for quarterback A.J. McCarron. Yeah, A.J. McCarron, the quarterback that Paul Wineski bet us would be the Bills' leader in quarterback snaps by the end of the year. Chris, he's a tiny man, so I really hope that that Seagrams he had to drink for that didn't just give him diabetes right there on the spot. And then last season, with the offensive line overhaul that took place, it was Wyatt Teller and Russ Bodine. Both players, you could probably make an argument, shouldn't be starting in the NFL. Right, Chris? Correct. They got us a fifth and sixth round draft pick, respectively. Despite the team improving our overall quality of the offensive line, we ground out two draft picks by trading away players off of our offensive line. I mean, it's a smart, albeit shrewd way to go about conducting business capitalizing on untimely injury and misfortune from another franchise. Look at we jumped all over the Patriots. That Russ Bodine trade? Yeah, they I mean, cut him. You can tell me whatever you want about Bill Belichick being smart. You traded a fifth for a center that was, wasn't good enough to make the Buffalo Bills, and then you cut him before the season started. That's a board. Chris, that's... Yeah. It's not a fireball offense, but it's... It's one of those things that I'd like to think that a competent GM, if I'm an owner and I watch my GM make that move, I would at least throw a glass of water in your face. (laughs) (laughs) And now you look at, I mean, Chris, you look at what the Bills have. 16 offensive linemen on this roster, including all five of last season's starters. Six, if you count Ty and Secchi, who pretty much had a 50-50 split of time with Cody Ford, except for when he was injured. 
And even beyond those players, you still have roster-worthy talent. So with that in mind, as the season ramps up here, there's some names that jump out to me as potential trade targets that not just for the Eagles, Chris, but just in general, I think the Bills fans should start to get familiar with the idea of potentially being on the block already without having to be formally put there. First of all, Daryl Williams. The guy has a $2.5 million cap hit and only has 250 k in dead money. 41 starts, Chris, over just 54 games. So he's, he's a seasoned vet, except he's only 27 years old. And on a one-year deal, the Bills or any other team acquiring him can get rid of him after one year. He can play multiple offensive line positions. He'd probably be viewed by NFL standards as either a middling quality starter or a high-level backup. This Evan Boehm guy that everyone got all excited about. Chris, he has an $875,000 cap hit, but only accounts for $25,000 in dead money. Jesus. $25,000. Chris, chump change. I think your car costs right around $25,000. Yeah, not really. I bought it for $15,000. Your car costs $10,000 less. Only $10,000. For an extra $10,000, you could buy out this man's contract. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> oh, to me, that's an absurd concept. I mean, he's not, he hasn't had the most starting experience. He only has 21 starts in 51 games. But he plays guard and center. He's a journeyman, but he's found starts on every team that's rostered him. And apparently he's really good in tandem blocking situations. Which means that teams that already have a, a quality right tackle and quality center, you you could get by with a guard of this caliber and still find a way to make that work on a week-to-week basis. I mean, he's probably an insurance policy against one of the guys already on your roster not stepping up, but it beats a sharp stick in the eye. And then Spencer Long. This guy is a guy who's been in the mouths of Bills fans for weeks now because if the Bills essentially have two off-seasons now where it's okay to cut this guy. 44 starts in 66 career games. Cap hit of $3.125 million and seven hundred k in dead money. The Bills could move on from him at the end of camp already, Chris. Just because of his cost. And the f- think about what he is. He started at least six games for every single team that he's played for until signing with the Bills last year. And then he lost the starting job out of camp to John Feliciano. And I don't think he saw the field again. No, very seldom. He has shown adequate... NFL starting caliber play in the interior of an offensive line. And while he doesn't have the accolades that Darrell Williams once had, you know, second team all pro and all this, his injury history is far cleaner than that. And he comes at a price and a reasonable cap hit that most teams can kind of absorb. And Spencer Long's interesting to me because he's a guy who I, I don't, Chris, depending on how these young players play and the fact that there's 16 offensive linemen on the roster, that camp battle, Chris, our starting five is already cemented. All we're doing right now is looking to see who beats who out for backup jobs. It's going to be interesting to see if Spencer Long can even survive that process. So with that in mind, if there's an opportunity to shed him for picks, doesn't he seem like the most likely candidate for that? Uh, yeah. He's got the experience, the versatility, uh, the dead money, if you know, you run into a Patriots situation with Bodine from last year where you trade him and then that team ends up cutting him. You know? Even that team isn't pissed because they're yeah. like, well, we didn't spend that much. Yeah. I mean, it really is incredible 
when you can talk about three players that would all make sense being traded to another organization before the offseason program gets underway, and without whom the Bills' offense wouldn't suffer at all, we wouldn't lose sleep as fans for losing them in terms of our overall depth. I mean, Chris, raise your glass. Cheers to the Buffalo Bills finally having an NFL-caliber GM. I know a lot of people are asking why the why the, why would the Eagles even be looking to trade with the Buffalo Bills? Chris, didn't they say that they would already try to promote from within? Yeah, I laugh at that, and I'm going to laugh now. <laughs> That's a hilarious concept. The Eagles' offensive line has been one of the better units in the NFL over the course of the last season or two, but their depth isn't great. I mean, their top backup is a second-year player who posted a relative athletic score. Shout out to Kent Lee Platty over at the RelativeAthleticScore.com of 2.79 out of 10. Nobody else on their roster has any NFL experience in terms of backup offensive linemen. They also have $22 million in cap space available, but nobody on the free market to buy as a starter. And they're not exactly a young roster. I mean, in 2019, they were the second oldest next to the Patriots, according to uh, Football Outsiders. Of course, they have a window. And it's not going to open any further. Than, I mean, it's not closed, but it's not going to open any further than it is right now. And when you add in the turnover on that side of the ball for the Eagles, trying to make hay with a single talented option is your only hope at fulfilling a starting guard job would be... Chris, it's, as, you, as a fan, as an Eagles fan, you wouldn't like that idea, right? No. I mean, the Eagles are trying to win the NFC East again. ESPN recently released their rankings for team continuity across the NFL's 32 teams. And despite being the only one in the NFC East to return their head coach from last year, the Eagles still got terrible marks. They only ranked 23rd overall. And a lot of that had to do with changes to the offensive line at the offensive tackle positions heading into 2020. With that said, there seems to be a need. And if not in Philly, eventually everywhere in the NFL. Deep down in the petty black parts of my heart that still have me watching that Patriots playoff loss that ended with a Tom Brady pick six. Chris. Chris. That's good stuff. Do you know how often I have a good buzz on and my wife falls asleep and I'll just throw that on? Just the pick six. I don't know. Are you allowed to watch it now that you have a kid? <laughs> I, I do what I want. But let's not. Hey, listen. Do you I, rewatch I, that game with him? Oh, just wait. I can't wait. Just to introduce him to the pettier points of being a Buffalo Bills fan. <laughs> but I'll say that the the same place in my heart that has me motivated to do that is the place where I'm glad that the Bills are built to take advantage of other teams' misfortune and misery. Now, as we talk about the ESPN article, Chris, I guess that's what we'll close the show with because it, it's really something I think is worth diving into. We're going to move tonight's discussion to continuity heading into 2020 and its value in the AFC East this season. ESPN's continuity rankings article was an interesting one. It's linked in the show's description, most significantly because they rank the Buffalo Bills number one in the entire NFL in consistency from 2019 to 2020. Kind of helps with the circumstances that we're in. Absolutely. And Chris... For a franchise that at one point only rivaled the Cleveland Browns and its ability to throw up on the floor and then slip and fall in it, just in terms of roster building, coaching, management, it's weird being in this situation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's something I have not experienced in my adult life, and uh, I like it. 
<laughs> Who wouldn't? Chris, during our playoff drought, we had five GMs, nine head coaches, counting the two interim coaches, and ten quarterbacks. Ten. Yeah, I think uh, I would say of those nine, Dick Geron, the only one to get an extension. And then he got fired in the middle of the season. Yes. Replaced <laughs> by Perry Fuel. And yet here we stand on the precipice of what is a season where we are not only one of the more talented rosters this team has had in decades, but one of the more consistent from roster to coaching to front office in the whole NFL. Before we go any further, Chris, raise your glass. Because we're going to drink to that. There we go. So through the lens of this continuity scoring, the obvious question fans would ask, in what ways do these percentages and figures that get thrown out there really tell the story of how these teams stack up against one another in terms of how they might fare in 2020? And what does it mean for the Bills in the AFC East this season? Well, folks, as I always say, I have a chart for that. Chris? You're like the... <laughs> You're like the Buffalo football podcasting version of Chad D. Domenicis. Well, let me show you this chart. Oh, you have a question? Well, I have this handy-dandy chart for that. <laughs> Listen, I love data. I love pouring over data, and then I love trend analysis. And I like, of course, I, I like it. I have a hard-on for it. And so with that, I'm going to walk you guys through this. Chris, there's a table in front of you. Laid out, laid out in it, all four teams in the AFC East. Offensive snaps, defensive snaps, offensive starters. I've charted it all from that ESPN article and stacked them up against one another. What are some of the things that jump out at you? This is like offensive snaps, like returning from last season? Yep. Uh, let's see. The Jets, 31st. New England, 30th. <laughs> Dolphins, 20th. And then Buffalo, 95.4% in first place. Number one in the NFL. So that, yeah, that to me, we're going to have some kind of offensive continuity going into next season. At least compared to our opponents, right? Yep. God, see, Chris, if I make enough charts, I feel like I can just make you smarter. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. Uh, oh. You have uh, offensive and defensive starters, 10 apiece. 10 apiece. Each side of the ball. Each With Miami, how's Miami's returning eleven? Miami is returning eleven. How's that? They signed like Van Noy and was it Byron Jones and Shaq Lawson? Aren't they going to start over whoever they had? Well, Chris, I'm glad you asked because we're going to run down each team's synopsis here, and I'm going to put this chart as I did last week. I'm going to put a screenshot of it up on Twitter for all of you to consume as I put this data together, so you can follow along with me. My observations as I look at this, you have the Miami Dolphins ranked, ranked second highest in the division at 10th overall in continuity score. Miami's in kind of a strange place. You've got a second-year head coach who decides to shuffle the deck at both his offensive and defensive coordinator positions. Now, Chris, we watched Sean McDermott do something sort of similar. I mean, he had Rick Dennison as his offensive coordinator that first year. I'd and like then, to forget about that. Yeah, I know. I thought I could drink it out of my system, but here we are. Chris, I'll never forget the game. We're from our seats. I watched three wide. It was third and long. Three wide receivers went out for routes. No one ran a route to the sticks. Two wide receivers somehow ended up in the same place. How does that 
outside of play where two of your wide receivers have option routes on the same side of the field. That's an abomination. That right there should get you tarred and feathered. <sighs> so not only are the Dolphins going to see turnover on that front, they're also only bringing back seven of the 16 assistant coaches that helped the team last year. Now, they added a ton of talent, Chris. I mean, yes. we saw You saw them go crazy in free agency. Even you know that as a layman. Yeah, as they should. And they, and they spent a ton of draft capital. A lot of people thought coming into the draft with the most picks, you were going to see a lot of trading from the Miami Dolphins. And instead, what they chose to do was make a lot of dart throws. A lot of dart throws just to try to upgrade the existing talent of the team. I mean, that's kind of what contributed to the low return percentage on the offense. I mean, Chris, they only returned 20%. What is it? 20%? Miami? Or... Offensive snaps from last year, 75.6. 75.6. So they dropped 20% from the previous season. What I'm interested in is it's going to be interesting to see how this turnover on the coaching staff and the turnover on the roster is affected by an offseason where players don't get any face time with their new coordinators or staff members. I mean, you said it. Sean McDermott, not for nothing, but the fact that we've been able to have this continuity, the fact that Sean McDermott has cultivated this youth leadership group within his team. The fact that these guys know enough and are working hard and know each other, know the systems. You're not going to have any of that, especially on the offensive side of the football for Miami. And then in terms of talent on the field, you look at that, Chris. Miami's returning 10 starters on offense, but I don't know if that's a good thing. One of the things that has doomed every Miami team since Gase first got his start there is that they haven't had an NFL caliber offensive line. This season, despite returning 10 players, they have not only a new offensive system and a potentially rookie quarterback to contend with, but they're also going to field an offensive line that's a completely mixed bag. They have some low-level starters with NFL experience. I mean, what, uh, that Dieter, the guard that they drafted last year, mostly back career backup right tackle Jesse Davis, and a journeyman in Eric Flowers. And behind them... They just have a ton of rookies, varying skill sets and overall talents, but a whole boatload of rookies as your only offensive line depth. So regardless of what you have at the skill positions, if they can't get that aspect of the roster figured out and get that offensive line to gel quickly under a new coordinator, new offensive system, and a question mark in terms of overall talent, I don't think it's going to matter who starts for them at quarterback, Chris, because they're, they're going to have a really hard time generating anything in terms of offense if they can't answer those questions. Then you take a look at the next team as you go down the ladder in terms of consistency rankings. The New York Jets ranked 20th overall in the NFL. This is the first time, Chris, since 2011 that all three coordinators are back under the same head coach for the New York Jets. Oh, good for them. That almost makes me feel bad for them. I mean, that's, Chris, the first time in a decade that everyone's come back from your coaching staff? I don't know how that that happens. I do. The New York Jets. Yeah. <laughs> the Jets' defense was a top-five unit last season. I mean, that's if, if there's a positive here. And they're going to be returning the same core group with a few mid-round additions that are probably going to contribute in terms of pass rush, I think. And they, they, Bryce Hall who, if he's healthy, could be a late-round steal for them at cornerback. According to the Seagram's board, Nate Geary's got him as CB1 or 2. 
I mean, I if he pans out, that'll help their group because I mean, Chris, their cornerbacks were terrible last year. They should feel the strong defense, especially if CJ mostly comes back and kind of comes back from that groin injury that just wrecked his 2019 season. Yeah. But when you look at on offense, Chris, the Jets' offensive situation is probably the worst in the AFC East. They're 31st in the NFL in returning snaps to their offense from last year, which doesn't help when you're trying to promote the success of an offensive system and try to give a young quarterback what he needs to succeed. Especially one as complicated, disjointed, as Adam Gase's system. Yes. I think where they're really going to suffer, Chris, is that six, of the six players that they're bringing back on offense, I mean, first of all, think about that. You're only bringing back six players from six starters from last year's offense. Most of them, guys like Bell, guys like Darnold, are going to require all of these new faces that you've thrown onto the roster. They're going to require their help in order to show, produce anything or show any kind of signs of improvement. As it stands, they're going to be trying to fix their offense with two mediocre interior offensive line additions, a rookie left tackle, two brand-new boundary-wide receivers, Chris, who, let's face it, Brashad Perryman is a one-year wonder at this point in his career. Yeah. And then they added in a, another first-round bust in Josh Doxson. Denzel Mims might be the only thing to get excited about on this team in terms of wide receiver talent, and he's a rookie. So we know the learning curve for them is high in the NFL. Yes. Ultimately, the Jets are in rough shape. And one of the things that I look at, I mean, they were ranked 20th overall. They're 31st in the NFL in returning offensive snaps. Chris, if you're Sam Darnold, what's going through your head? Another year, brand new wide receivers. Guys, you can't get, okay, so now I'm going to have to spend an offseason getting on the same page with these guys. These guys are going to have to spend an offseason trying to figure out our playbook, figure out our style of offense. We need to figure out if these guys are even fits for what we're trying to run. Meanwhile, you've got an offensive line that's never played together, and none of them are overly talented, and they're going to have to try to gel in order to block for Le'Veon Bell, who's coming off a career-worst a career worst season. I can't... I'm trying to think of a, of a dead Jets offensive lineman and reference it to ghosts, but I can't think of it. I mean, ultimately, the Jets... I mean, Chris, no one's expecting great things from the Jets. If you look at Vegas, certainly isn't. Vegas is, is looking at them as if they're going to be in the basement of the AFC East. I think them and the, I think right now the Dolphins have slightly better odds, slightly better odds in well, Vegas to, I, to, to, to finish in third place. Not for nothing. I, there's, I saw a Jets beat reporter put Buffalo in last place for this year. Oh, well, that guy's clearly on drugs. Oh, Chris, I didn't know that we were allowed. I didn't know that people were allowed to drink and then write for formal publication. When did this go up for grabs? Listen, if that's the case, I'll I'll I'll, I'll actually start to entertain the idea of getting back into journalism. Jesus Christ, the bills in last place. Yeah, right. I saw the article you're talking about. Yeah, Ryan Talbot had a piece on it. I'm not writing a piece on that. I'm not reading it. <laughs> that guy is clearly on drugs, and his employers and family should be concerned. I just clicked on it to. Find out if that was a legitimate Jets media member. <laughs> and it wasn't. It wasn't. What if it's just some guy who pulled an Ale Davis? Remember the year when they drafted Darius Hayward Bay? Yeah. And my, I, I assumed it was because Ale Davis just Maybe ran was... to the podium when no one was looking? What if that's what happened? Some random 
loon off the street, just ran into the New York Post offices, penned an article real quick, and then left. Maybe it was Wyatt V18 or whatever that is. <laughs> whatever that, the burner account. The burner account. Oh, in any event, the New York Jets are in a lot of trouble. I don't feel good for Sam Darnold. When you just look at the continuity, yeah, his coaching staff is in place, but they're hurting for pieces. I mean, Chris, if you're trying to win with strong defense and a little bit of offense, that's what the Buffalo Bills did in 2018. They had a strong defense and a really kind of piecemeal, not really fleshed out offense. Yeah, And, and it they... feels to me like that's what the Jets are trotting out this season. And these numbers that ESPN has dredged up kind of trend in that direction. Six starters on offense, eight starters on defense. It just doesn't look good, Chris. The, the second worst in the NFL in terms of offensive line talent coming back. There's no continuity. There's no flow. You're going to have to coach all these guys up and pray. And guess what? You know what, Chris? But it's a good thing that they have a coach that's so good at development and teaching, Right? I know. We wouldn't have the Peyton Manning that we have today without Adam Gase. <laughs> I really do think when you take these metrics and you put them together with what we know about the roster, there is a shitstorm brewing in New Jersey over there, which is fitting. I mean, Chris, that place is basically just a swamp with Because it is new, Yeah, it is New Jersey. <laughs> it is a shithole. And then, at the bottom, for the AFC East, at the bottom of ESPN's continuity rankings... The New England Patriots, ranked 29th overall. I mean, Chris, the only positive for New England this offseason is that they're returning their entire coaching staff sans the great Dante Scarnecchia. Oh, that sucks. That in and of itself is going to be a problem. Is Steve Belichick's hair coming back? (laughs) You mean Joe Dirt? Yeah. (laughs) Joe Dirte working on the uh, New England Patriots staff? My God. (sighs) The Patriots, when you look at them, have the most questionable returning special teams unit in the entire division, considering they lost both an ace and Nate Ebner, who followed their former special teams coordinator to... uh, Miami. uh, To Miami. Not to Miami. To... uh, Denver. No. The Giants. Oh. That's right. Joe Judge. And their longtime kicker, Steven Gostowski, got cut. Because he's old. Who, by all signs, they're going to try to replace him with a rookie who's known more for anti-Semitic tattoos than he is for kicking in any kind of big moments over the course of his NCAA career. We talked during our free agency show with Pat's pulpit podcaster Mark Schofield just about all of the turnover that's going on with this team. And Chris, he doesn't feel good about it. We do, though. Oh, of course we do. Schadenfreude. I enjoy every piece of this. And that's why we're going to spend a few minutes just looking at it. I mean, Chris, let's start in defense. On defense, the New England Patriots, they're returning seven of last year's starters, and only 71.8% of all the defensive snaps. 15th in the NFL and last in the AFC East as far as returning defensive productivity. That's not good. I mean, their team got raided in free agency. Yeah, they did. They really did. And what you saw in free agency was, in response and in the draft, was the Patriots seemed content to just try to replace everything through the draft. With young players, rookies. Cost-controlled. Journeymen. Chris, they went cheap, which only makes sense to me if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback on the roster. 
Yes. In a year where you didn't have to go cheap because you finally had money. You didn't you didn't do anything. I mean that meme with the, the stick figure poking the Bills logo with a stick or the Patriots logo going, hey, do something. Yeah. That, that was New England. That was New England fans everywhere. Of course, you know, they'll never commit admit to being worried. They're too busy just crawling over, you know, living in the past. Yes. Well, anytime you criticize any Patriots fan, it's, well, we got these six rings. Yeah, well, you and all six of those rings can go, well, fuck yourselves. I don't care, because you're never going to see one again in your lifetimes. Take that, Patriots fans. Freud, Chris, I love it. Nothing makes me happier than talking about bad things for the Patriots. In returning some of the lowest percentage of defensive snaps on any AFC team on defense, most of which come in the front seven. That's the thing that's going to doom them, Chris. They lost three starting linebackers, Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy, and Landon Roberts, and a starting defensive tackle. I don't know how you just re... I don't care how good Bill Belichick is. I don't know how you reproduce all of that talent in a single offseason when you didn't make any sizable moves to address it. I don't know. I don't get it. On offense, the Patriots are just a single spot better than the Jets, ranked 30th in returning offensive snaps. But as we know, it's not the number of snaps. It's what, it's what those snaps are worth. That's where New England really kind of bent over and took it in the tailpipe. I mean, Chris, that, that, that was the kick to the groin for the New England Patriots going into 2020. Obviously, they're going to have a new signal caller with Brady moving on to Tampa Bay. That alone is worth some shade, and it would be hard for an NFL team to rebound from. I mean, when the San Francisco 49ers moved on from Joe Montana, they were lucky enough to have a quarterback. What? How, how many years did it take for Steve Young? Was he right away? Steve Young, he won the Super Bowl in 94. And what year did Joe Montana leave? 92 or 93. So they very quickly pivoted to another young quarterback who they felt could take them all the way. Which... Chris, isn't that more of an outlier situation than it is the quote-unquote norm for NFL teams? You don't just go from a Hall of Famer to another quarterback who takes you to a Super Bowl. No, that's very that's very rare. It's highly rare. And the skill positions have also seen an overhaul. As last year's uh, Patriots tight ends were atrocious, and now you're going to, Chris, you're going to try to replace them with rookies. Meanwhile, your wide receiver group is essentially Edelman, that disappointing rookie Nikhil Harry, and uh, something called Demir Bird. Bird. Don't know. Don't know. D- d- don't care. Don't care. You're nobody. So like we said, Chris, if you're not bringing anyone new to the table in terms of overwhelming skill position, then it comes back to the quarterback. And as we've already laid out, it's rare that a new quarterback just steps in in the shoes of a Hall of Famer and takes off. And yet, there are still some people in New England who are deluded enough to think that Jared Stidham is going to be the savior of this franchise. In fact, I'll take it a step further. There's some parts of the mainstream media who believe this. In a tweet from Sal Capaccio this week, this is a quote from Chris Sims on WEEI out of Boston. Stidham is more talented than Tua. Being Tua Tagovailoa, not Tua your mailman, not Tua the guy who works out at the loading dock at Home Depot. Oh, no, 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 no. Jared Stidham is more talented than Tua Tagovailoa. Tua is a creation of Alabama. You don't think Jared Stidham 
would have set the world on fire if he got to play with four first-round wide receivers and two first-round tackles? That's it? That's the quote? That's the quote. Uh, well, I mean, I totally get it, Alabama being a quarterback factory. I mean, look at the NFL career that Jay Coker's had. I mean, the guy just sets the NFL on fire. A.J. McCarron sets the world on fire. God, I fucking hate You know, and just wait, <clears throat> mid, mid-season this year when Jalen Hurts takes over for Carson Wentz, when he <laughs> tears both of his knees up. <laughs> when That's... he just gets looked at too hard by an opposing defensive coordinator. And yeah. Both of his knees just break. Yeah, all all the great quarterbacks that come out of Alabama that play in the NFL. I get it. Literally, all of this, Chris, you know where this comes from? This mystique ooh, that seems to surround Bill Belichick because everyone just assumes he's smarter than us. Well, Bill Belichick, if he likes him, the guy must be good because Bill Belichick must be better than us. Chris, I tweeted this out. I'm going to read it to you now. This is a list of the Patriots quarterbacks that have been groomed by Bill Belichick other than Tom Brady. Rohan Davey. That's my favorite. Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. That's right. That's right, Bills fans. NFL head coach Cliff Kingsbury was a Patriots draft pick. Bet you didn't even know he played in the NFL. Matt Castle. I had someone named O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell. There was a Robinson, I think a Zach Robinson. Zach Robinson, Oklahoma State. Ryan Mallett! Arkansas. The man who convinced me that I am unfit for draft analysis. Ryan Mallett. Jimmy Garoppolo. Jacoby Brissett. Danny Etling. And Jared Stidham. More than half of those players, Chris, were drafted in the first four rounds. When you read them, this is all I can think. I never heard of half of these guys. It genuinely feels like the movie Major League. I've never heard of half of these guys. Past their prime, some of these guys never had a prime. Chris, I'm pretty sure one of those guys might be dead because I haven't heard about him since Chris since the day he was drafted. Was the last time I ever heard his name. It bothers me that people get so wrapped up in this mystique of Bill Belichick and all the things that he's done well with on-field talent. Chris, his ability to groom quarterbacks is incredibly dubious. About as bad as ability to groom uh, wide receivers. Or his son's hair. That too. (laughs) But that's it. There's just... And Chris, don't get me wrong. Developing quarterbacks is hard. Yeah. But this is a coach who's swung and missed so many times that I have to question his ability to do it. I have to. I get it. People thought the Patriots... Chris, how many times have you heard it? Well, the Patriots have Tom Brady, but they draft a quarterback every year because they're smart. What is the value of that if none of these guys pan out to be anything? You're spinning your tires at best. Yeah, the only one that kind of worked out was... Garoppolo, and I'm just saying that based on the return that they got for What, him. they spent a second-round pick. And they got one back. And they got a lower second-round pick in return. Ergo, you yeah. Or what was, what was the uh, Jacoby Brissett trade? To, Who to... fucking knows? Jacoby Brissett has never played in a playoff game. Yeah. Ryan Mallett farted his way out of Tennessee I mean, when, when they found out that if you thought... Chris, if you thought Tom Brady was unathletic... Ryan Mallett makes him look like Jackie Joyner-Kersey. I remember he was he overslept 
for the Texans. Just remember that one episode from uh, Hard Knocks. Ryan Mallett overslept, and then he got, then he got cut. Who knows? Who cares? It's a sad chapter in my own personal life that, it, Chris, I've moved past it. I'm a man. I've grown. I think that the, the, the I call it the Ryan Mallett lesson. Do not ever trick yourself into thinking you know anything about the NFL draft, Drew Gear. Stop yeah. it. And then try to come back with that uh, with uh, Landry Jones. <laughs> also going to set the world on fire. Yeah, I doubled down with idiot. Landry Jones. You dumb <laughs> idiot. All right, Dwight. Thanks. <laughs> So even smart people, folks, can find themselves caught up in the Bill Belichick mystique and his supposed draft prowess, even if it doesn't apply to the, the quarterback position. Here's what I know. Chris, the numbers speak for themselves. I dredged them up from our post-free agency show with Mark Schofield. Statistically, so that non-Patriots fans can get an idea of what the losses to the Patriots team currently are, they've lost two team captains, 24 passing touchdowns, and the 7th best interception percentage in the NFL. 15 starts at offensive center. The only wide receiver on the roster targeted more than 10 times to not record a drop. 80% of the snaps taken at linebacker at two different interior positions. 108 combined starts on defense. And when you look at the defensive production they lost, mostly to Miami, 262 tackles, 6 force fumbles, 5 interceptions, 24 tackles for a loss, 57 quarterback pressures, and 20 sacks. Chris, I don't give a fuck who, how good you are at the draft. You're not going to overcome all of that in a single offseason. No, I don't, think they can, uh, I don't think they can do that. Even with Bill Belichick and Steve Belichick's hair. And when you look, at the, and when you look at the percentages that are playing, laid out here, It's all there, Chris. They speak to that. So in a season where the Patriots would be best served playing tough defense, limiting turnovers, and running the football, kind of protecting their rookie core or at least first-year quarterback to win football games, they find themselves without one of the best offensive line coaches ever, without significant depth on the offensive line, with an inexperienced quarterback, and they're very young in the defensive front seven. That does not sound like a recipe for a ton of success, regardless of who your head coach is. Jesus himself could take this operation over. He's still going to have a difficult time manufacturing what we're used to seeing out of the New England Patriots. I just think it's too much in a single offseason to overcome. And so does ESPN. They ranked them 29th in the NFL in continuity, Chris. About time they're in the basement for something. And then you look at the Buffalo Bills. By comparison to anyone else in the division, Chris, are one of the more settled rosters from top to bottom. Ranked number one overall in NFL continuity. They're returning not just all three of their coordinators, which is, Chris, a feat unto itself here in Buffalo. Because, I mean, we make fun of the fact that the Jets have gone so many years without being able to return a complete team. Let's not act like we here in Buffalo have gotten, Chris, we've had our share of ups and downs on that front. Yes, we have. But they're also returning 20 of their 22 assistant positions and, co- and position coaches. Who's the other one? D- D-line coach left, and who else? I don't exactly know. A quality control? And the one guy retired. So it's not like he left to go to another team or took another job. He just retired. All right. 
So the high percentage of returning players are going to get to work with the same staff that they've worked with over the course of their careers here in Buffalo. That's the complete opposite situation of what Miami's currently facing. When you look at the Bills' depth chart over at OurLads.com, what you see is a group that doesn't have a single rookie penciled in at a starting position anywhere on the roster. We are the only team in the AFC East that can say that. How crazy is that? Crazy. I mean, that alone is a massive tip of the cap to what Brandon Bean has accomplished here over, over these three years working in the Buffalo Bills front office. And on the offensive side of the ball, the Bills are returning the NFL's highest percentage of snaps with over 94% and 10 returning starters. And when you look at the starting positions that did change, there's no one out here listening to this podcast that can disagree with me that it's a massive upgrade rather than a detriment that we've made changes. I mean, Chris, the most prominent one I could find is that you're going to have Stefan Diggs replacing Isaiah McKenzie in the top three of snap percentage at wide receiver. Ooh. <laughs> Tell me that you would be disappointed by that. I would not be disappointed by that. I'm sick of Isaiah McKenzie's jet sweeps. <laughs> the jet sweep. Who do you think they're going to use for that now? Uh, anyone else. Literally anyone else? Literally Robert Foster. Oh, man. The dude was a one-trick pony. Yeah, he, he caught the ball near the line of scrimmage and then hope like they were just like hopefully he can do something. Who are draft picks? Isaiah Hodgins and who's the other one? Uh, Gerald Davis. Yeah. Oh, Gabriel Davis. Jesus. Christ. Gabe Davis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd rather see those run those two run jet sweeps. I'd rather watch Sean McDermott run a jet sweep. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to see Isaiah McKenzie out there. Wow, are you anti-Isaiah McKenzie even before camp gets off the ground? Yeah, I've seen enough. <laughs> I've seen enough. You run jet sweeps. That's all you do. So we've essentially traded Isaiah McKenzie's snap percentage for Stephon Diggs. I think that's a win for the Buffalo Bills. And for those lo- worried about the loss of Frank Gore, I think the addition of dynamic youth in our running back group, Chris, doesn't that have far more upside? Yeah. Because you watched Frank Gore get old by the end of the season. Yeah, he was old before the season began. And then when you look at the defense, which has become the backbone of this Bills team under Sean McDermott, there was limited turnover. We've got 10 starters returning. And just like on offense, it would be difficult for anyone to convince me that the things that did change aren't changes for the better. I mean, Chris, we added depth at every single level of this defense. Every single level of what was a 10-win football team mostly keyed by its defensive efforts. Chris, how many games do we blow our opponent out? Nah, not many. No, it was our defense, routinely, just holding teams down so we could piss in their hair. And that's... <laughs> the face you made of that. <laughs> yeah, don't pee in my hair. I don't know if that's, a, that's an analogy most people use. I mean, I throw it around all the time. <laughs> I, I thought my wife was weird for not understanding it, but... Maybe I'm the crazy one here. But with that said, we added depth in our linebacking core. We added a more athletic strong side linebacker in A.J. Klein. You added a better pass rusher to what Lorenzo brought in Mario Addison. You brought, you know, we lost... Quentin Jefferson? Yeah. We, what was I say? We lost pass rush at the D-tackle position with Jordan Phillips leaving. 
But we also brought in a penetrator in Quentin Jefferson, a highly rated pass rusher from the defensive tackle position. And we brought in Vernon Butler. Chris, this might be the first time we keep five D tackles. Yeah. Josh Norman. That's insanity. CB2, Josh Norman. Chris, there is high-end talent added to what we had last year. We didn't get weaker anywhere. We got stronger across the board. So through this lens of the continuity score and then what we can glean from just researching the rosters themselves, the obvious... Chris... How are you not impressed by this? I see you with that stupid non-plus look on your face that you always have. It's impressive. Usually we're not ranked number one in something good. No. And when you take all of this in, is it any wonder that the national media is all of a sudden on our bandwagon? Oh, Adam Shine from Sirius XM and CBS Sports. He's he's driving the bus. I've heard it. I've seen it everywhere. Chris, the talking heads are tripping over each other to anoint the Buffalo Bills all of a sudden as winners in the AFC East. But it shouldn't surprise anybody. If for no other reason, then they're just now learning the things that we've known about Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean since we started watching them cultivate this roster. Chris, everyone laughed at him in 2018. Ah, Nathan Peterman. Bah, 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 bah. Ah, look at you, you only won six games and your quarterback sucks. He can't hit the broad side of a barn. Coaching. Coaching. Culture. (sighs) So with that said, broken out like this, it's getting harder and harder for me as a fan to fight this feeling that no matter how pragmatic Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and every single one of our players who they managed to stick a microphone in the face of might be saying, we should... Should, being the operative term here, have the inside track to winning the AFC East for the first time since 1995. Yeah, and uh, Michael Robinson's, uh, what, fourth time guessing in five years. What's that analogy about a blind squirrel, nuts, Yeah, or a broken clock? Right twice a day. If Michael Robinson was ever going to be right, it would almost have to be this season, right? Yeah, finally. For his sake and ours, I hope he's right. I mean, Chris, it's an exciting and at the same time terrifying thought. Terrifying that there's... Expectations. A sh- well, t- I would say it's terrifying because there's a chance we might not be there for it. Fucking COVID. Don't get me started about that because that's a topic for another podcast. But Chris... When's the last time that you went... I mean, I mean, this is what I've, I've said this for years. This is an analogy I've given people. Would you rather be an Indianapolis... A Peyton Manning-era Indianapolis Colts fan who you can pencil in 10, 11 wins every single season, like clockwork. Of course you're going to the postseason. You're almost nonplussed by it. And then you're just watching the playoffs waiting waiting for some abomination to occur. I mean, Chris, one of the worst things I've seen happen to Colts fans was... Mike Vanderjack? Mike Vanderjack. That whole thing was set up by the fact that... Chris, listen to this incredible set of circumstances that had to take place. There was a guy who was covering punt returns. He was a special teamer. Okay, special teamer. For the, the Colts. 
The night before the playoff game, he gets into a fight with his girlfriend and she stabs him in the knee. Stabs him in the knee! Bad spot. He says he's fine to play. Eh, it's just a little scar tissue, you know, it's just a, it's a shallow wound, we'll bandage it up, everything will be fine. There's no real swelling, it's not that bad. He's the one who's on the field at the end of the game who has to be relied on. I mean, everyone will remember that as the Mike Vanderjack game where out of nowhere, the, one of the NFL's most accurate kickers suddenly developed the yips and cost his team when it mattered. But I'll remember it as the, the game where a guy who got stabbed in the knee was the only person able to cover a punt from the Steelers. And when he went to plant his leg, the leg he got stabbed in, it buckled underneath him and he fell. And the Steelers returned the punt all the way down the field and kicked the field goal to win the game. I will never forget that, Chris. If I was a fan of that football team, I would feel like we were cursed. Like there was nothing we could do right in order to win a Super Bowl. Chris, would you rather be a team, a fan of the team that consistently wins and then just disappoints you in the playoffs to where the playoffs are no longer exciting? Or would you have rather been a Bills fan where every single win felt like, Chris, I wanted to take my shirt off and throw bro just throw bottles around my property. Maybe shoot a gun in the air. Set something on fire. like that. Second Amendment, live and well. You're on the Rockpile Report. <laughs> it's an exciting and terrifying thought that the Buffalo Bills are all of a sudden being thought of in that category. Playoffs two times in three years, lost both of them, but hey, they're contenders. Chris, what do you mean? Yeah, it's insane. We're supposed to be, like, if you're going to... Those lovable underdogs. Yeah, it's like this year, if you're going to add a third team to the Chiefs-Ravens tier... In the AFC, watch out for Buffalo. <laughs> it's it's Chris, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. It's nerve-wracking. But maybe, with enough alcohol and just a little bit of luck, we might just watch the Buffalo Bills take yet another step towards becoming something that we as fans, I think Chris said it best, haven't seen since we were children. I'm not fired up for this, Chris. And that's where we end tonight's podcast. Next week, make sure you come back because it's the start of our training camp preview series. Over the course of the next few weeks, some of your favorite bloggers and podcasters are going to be joining us to break down the various position groups, making up our 90-man roster as we head into training camp. We're going to give you our, dark, our, our, our takes on the makeup of each position group, who we see providing what roles, where we expect production to come from, potential trade targets, dark horses to make the roster, cap casualties, all of it. We're going to drag all of it out, Chris, and it's going to be a lot of fun in the process because this is, Chris, there's going to be a lot of competition for any of these young players to make the team. Yeah, I think the uh, any position group of, of how are you going to align the depth chart and who gets cut, who you keep, would probably be the defensive line. So whenever we get to the defensive line, that's going to be an interesting conversation because who's where on the depth chart and who's any of those utilization patterns. Yeah. Cause we're going to get into all of this. It's I, it, guys. The off season is over. As far as the rock pile reports concerned, we're, we're getting fired up over here now. And hopefully you're all willing to come and take the ride with us. 
With that said, next week we're going to have a big announcement. There are big changes coming for the Rock Pile Report podcast. Chris, you're, you've got a shit-eating grin on your face. I love it. I can't wait. <laughs> Folks, big announcements coming. Make sure you tune in. And while you're at it, make sure you're supporting your local businesses. Wise Guys Pizza. We've butted heads in the past. Today I went in there to pick up my food. They tweeted it and a lot of people got you know, jumped on the bandwagon about how they messed up my food once and about how it was like a recurring issue. Their owner came to the counter and had a conversation with me about it and paid for my dinner. Why? Simply because he knows that we've always helped him in the past and he's hoping that he can maintain our trust. And I told him, listen, local businesses are like families. When you have a falling out with them, you don't throw them out of your life. You fight with them a little bit. You tussle their hair. You put them in a headlock. And then you go on supporting them because, you, Chris, you don't ever want to be without them, right? Correct. So with that said, support your own local businesses. But if you're here in the West Seneca, South Buffalo, or Sloan area, if you're not going to Wise Guys Pizza, Chris, get out of here. Yeah, get out of here. Go somewhere else. So with that, we're going to let you all go, guys. Thank you for making making what we do here f- with all of your input, your everything you guys bring to us makes us want to bring more to you. And yeah. in that way, one hand washes the other, and we love you guys. I could stand here and get mushy for another half hour or so, but we got to get the fuck out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pal Report.